Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. You know, there are a lot of purposes God has for us when he calls us together. A lot of different things he wants to accomplish, but one most important thing is for he for him to manifest his presence and his glory in, among us. Hallelujah. You can't sit in the presence of God and it not change you and affect you. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, we were blessed this morning with Pastor Nancy Dufresne. And what a powerful word. I tell you, Pastor Nancy, got a church full of people running after their giants tonight. Amen. Amen. David ran toward Goliath. He didn't run from, from him. He ran toward him. Amen. Angel said, we got a knife and fork ready. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I so appreciate Pastor Nancy's ministry. My wife and I love her so much. And uh, her family and all that they've, they mean to us, the connection we have with them is just so precious to us. We thank God for bringing them into our life uh, many, many years ago now. Praise the Lord. And we're, we've been enriched by it in so many different ways. Praise God. It's good to have her tonight. And so, Pastor Nancy, I want to, to welcome you to come on up and, and just minister whatever the Lord gives you. Take your freedom. Like Brother Hagin said, you know, heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead. There might be one or two of those. <laughs> Take your liberty. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. There we go. Hallelujah. Good evening, everyone. I love being with your pastors and with this congregation. And uh, when there's a divine hookup, I'm not willing to exchange that for anything else. And uh, we're just glad to be here with you again. We want to remind you of a few items back at the book table. We sold out of a lot of things even yesterday and this morning. So they're bringing, I think, some more stuff is coming or being sent tomorrow. But we have this out there, the price of the double portion anointing. This came out of when I was in St. Petersburg, Russia in uh, 2018. And uh, a couple weeks before we went there and made the trip, God said to me, I'm going to speak to you over there. And one night Jesus came into my hotel room and for the next hour and a half I wrote. And he talked to me about what has to be just some of the things that have to be made sure that are put in place in this last day era. And so uh, you say, well, I'm not a minister and I don't know much about the double portion anointing. No, but the anointing upon you can always increase. The anointing within you resides the same. But the anointing that is upon us to bless others, that, that can be increased as we're faithful. And so uh, we want to share that with you, the price of the double portion anointing. And then one of my favorite books, His Presence Shall Be My Dwelling Place. And that's out there. And then we also have this one, Victory Over Grief and Sorrow. And there has to be a renewed mind that is... Um, that is held in place when we're faced with the emergencies of life because we're all going to face the emergencies of life. And we have to realize that grief and sorrow is not a flow to honor someone with. 
If it were a flow to honor someone with, why would Jesus come to redeem us from it? It says he bore our griefs and our sorrows. And we need to have heaven's way of thinking. When someone goes to heaven, it is not decrease. They got promoted. And you don't weep over someone who gets a promotion. Yeah, we may, fit, we may miss their presence. I understand that. But we still have to think right about it. And um, not only that, not only can grief and sorrow come into the life of someone or endeavor to come in when someone goes home to be with the Lord, but what about just disappointments in life? Something didn't turn out as you desired it to turn out. And people can become sorrowful over that. And uh, so we, we just give you what the Word says about it. Amen. Because what the Word says anchors us and keeps us from drifting into the wrong places. And so uh, those materials are out there. They'll be a blessing to you. Amen. Father, we thank you tonight for all that you have for us. And Father, we're hungry. We are hungry tonight. And we've come to receive. We've come to respond. We've come to cooperate with your plan. And so, Father, we take it all tonight. We take all that you lay before us, and we take unto ourselves eyes that see, ears that hear, hearts that are open and receptive. We choose that flow. And we say, Father, will we change tonight? We are changed from glory to glory. In every single service, we are looking to change, to come up in our thinking come up in our speaking, come up in our doing and in our believing. And we thank you that the word is the, is the enabler that, that enables us to change so that uh, a greater flow of glory is the result. And so we take it tonight and we thank you for it. And everybody said, you know, Dad Hagen uh, was in our church um, in 2003, ours was the last place. He did a week-long crusade, crusade before he went home to be with the Lord. And he sat at the back table, and he said to us at, around the dinner table, he looked at my husband and I and said, You know, the gifts of the Spirit and miracles don't happen because people pray. They happen because people are hungry. Hungry. And hungry people sound different at a table. You get someone who's not really hungry and doesn't really like what's on the table, and the way they approach the table is different than someone who just loves everything on that table and is just starving. And so I say tonight, I'm, I'm, I want to be hungry with the, the starving direction in mind. Amen. Amen. Because the approach that I'll have toward the Word is different when I, when I have that mindset. So I'm hungry tonight. What about you? Yeah. Amen. You know, when people are real hungry, you can hear slurping. They slurp that soup. You know, they don't just quietly. I mean, they're just, it's gobbling sounds. And uh, so let's gobble up tonight. How about, how about that? Um, this is something that was dropped in my heart. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 with me. And I'm going to read out of the Amplified. So maybe on your device you, you have the capability to flip to an Amplified translation you may want to do that. But something that God began just dealing with me about. And, and it's this, long before your need ever showed up, the genius of God 
and the wisdom of God was already at work providing your miracle. Long before your need showed up. The word tells us, in, and I'll just quote it to you out of Revelations chapter 13 and verse 8. It calls Jesus the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Why is that? Because God is in front of everything. He's made us the head, not the tail. That means we're in front of situations, not behind them. And I can say in pastoring 25 years, I've never been behind a situation in my church. I've always been able by the help of the Holy Ghost to be in front of a situation so that it didn't catch us off guard and cause damage to the church family. And God never operates in the negative. He's always on the positive side. He's always in front of everything. And he has already been well working on any need that you're ever going to face. He's already well supplied. And when you have that approach, there's no room for worry. You worry when you think it's not going to be there. But since he already told us from the foundation of the world, Jesus was as a lamb slain. It's already been taken care of. And when you approach every need you face with, this has already been taken care of in heaven's records. I don't know about you, but that, that ought to bring some relief and some, some rest to, to, to the mental arena. Amen. So before Adam sinned, God already had a plan in place. And then Jesus came and carried out the plan that was in place long before sin ever showed up. That ought to give us the confidence of what God is doing before our emergencies and difficulties ever show up in life. Amen? Amen. With computers, I don't... You know, there are some of you that are real tech savvy than some of us that just want to know where's the power button. Just tell me where the power button is. And some... With computers, there's a back end... And there's a front end to that thing. And uh, the back end contains the genius of the computer. The front end, you can have user error all all over it. (laughs) You know what I mean by that. So in the back end is where the programming for the device takes place, allowing the front end to function. Right? Right? The back end of the computer requires the wisdom, the knowledge, the skill. The front end can have a measure of skill, but you don't have near the skill and the knowledge that's called for on the back end. And with your miracle, you don't have to be concerned about the back end. That's good. That's good. You're on the front end. God's on the back end working on the back side of things. Amen. And the front only works right because the back end is done right. How many times have we said, we're working on the front end? I mean, I've heard it. I've got staff members. I've heard it. Something's wrong with this computer. You mean something's wrong with the user. Because it's amazing how somebody else has a little bit more knowledge comes and gets the result out of the same computer that you didn't get out of the computer. It's not a back-end problem. It's a front-end problem. (laughs) If something isn't working, it's not a back-end problem because God's on the back-end and he never fails. Everything on his side is right. So if there's a failure, there's no room for blaming anyone but user error. (laughs) 
<laughs> Isn't that right? Yeah. yeah. There's a front end and a back end to every miracle. Don't even touch into the back end. You don't have any ability or the genius to even start telling God how this miracle ought to play out, helping God to make it play out because his genius has already handled it before the difficulty ever manifested on the user end. Amen. God does his part on the back end, but us on the front end have to do our part because a a computer contains all the ability and all the technology to make us effective and efficient. But if we don't, if we lack skill on the front end, it's not going to do all that it's wired to do. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, and this is the Amplified. It says, for we are God's own handiwork. (laughs) His workmanship. Well, what workmanship is he referring to what handiwork is, re, is he referring to? The next phrase tells us, recreated in Christ Jesus. That's the workmanship. We are new creatures in Christ. Born anew, that we may do those good works. Now notice it's talking about his handiwork. Now it's talking about our part, that we may do on the front side that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned before us, beforehand on the backside for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time. Notice this, he prepared paths ahead of time, but it's up to us to take those paths. And if we don't take those paths, it doesn't matter what he prepared ahead of time. We won't enjoy all he prepared if we're off on the wrong path. So it's up to us to take paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged. He already arranged everything to make your life good. All goodness has been prearranged and made ready for us. What's it waiting for? For us to live it. So he made a plan for us before time ever started clicking. He planned everything and made it all ready. And if we put it this way, if this aisle represented the path that he made ready for us, on that path is everything we're going to need as we live this life he authored for us. There's going to be healing there. There's going to be abundance there. There's going to be direction. There's going to be wisdom. There's going to be clarity. There's going to be victory. There's going to be everything on, that, on the path that he prepared. But if we decide, wait a minute, I want to go down this path over here, he didn't prepare that path. And this is where many people miss it. They start blaming God. Why did God let this happen to me? Stay on the path. Stay on the path because it's not every path that belongs to you. The path that belongs to another man doesn't always belong to someone else. So our job is don't have user error. Stay on the path that he prepared, that he already fixed and supplied everything that your life needs there. Think about it. Now, turn with me. I want you to see this in Psalm 77. And again, I'm going to read out the Amplified. And know this, that even as we take 
the path that he's prepared for us. Even though he has fully supplied and prearranged and made ready everything that our life is going to need on that path, it won't just drop in our lap. We have to exercise our faith as we walk that path to lay hold of everything that he's already prearranged and supplied that path with. Now, Psalm 77, verse 14. Again, out of the Amplified, I'm going to read. Psalm 77, verse 14. says, You are the God who does wonders. You have demonstrated your power among the peoples. You have, with your mighty arm, redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Verse 16, when the waters at the Red Sea and the Jordan saw you, O God, they were afraid. The deep shuddered also, for all the waters saw you. The clouds poured down water. The skies sent out a sound of rumbling thunder. Your arrows went forth in forked lightning. The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings illumined the world. The earth trembled and shook. Verse 19, your way in delivering your people was through the sea. And your paths through the great waters. Yet your footsteps were not traceable but were obliterated. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What is all this talking about? That before God ever delivered his people out of Egypt, he visited the Red Sea. My people are going to be coming here. And it says his footsteps were in the waters. He walked it before they did. What was this? God answers your need before your need shows up in your life. It says his footsteps, his way in delivering the people was through the sea. And then he walked through there, but no one could see his footsteps. Why? Because the water covered it. So now he tells Moses, stretch forth your rod. Don't pray. He started praying. You don't need to pray. I've already been there. Too many times we're praying about things when we need to remember he's already fixed and supplied this thing. He's already in front of this. We need to treat God like he's in front of things instead of behind things and he needs our instruction and our coaching. But that's what this passage says. And no one knew his footsteps were there. It wasn't obvious. But they had to, by faith, get out of Egypt and get their toes to where God led them. It doesn't make any sense why God led them that route. Led them to a sea. There's a mountain here on the right, a mountain here on the left, and a mad enemy army with dead firstborn coming at them. And God obviously put them in a place where it looked like he hemmed them in. What they didn't know, he had already walked there. And so when Moses started praying, he said, why are you praying to me? Stretch forth your rod. In other words, if you'll just act and speak, things will start becoming visible that I've already supplied for you. The waters were blown back. The winds came and blew it back. And that's what this passage is talking about. And then whenever the winds came and blew it back, now we know our path to walk. The path was there all along. The footsteps he had already made. They were not on risky ground. God had already walked it. 
What am I trying to show you? God's in front of your situation. I said God's in front of your situation. God is in front of it. You don't need to worry. Just because you can't see the footsteps in the, in the, in the seabed doesn't mean they're not there. And it takes faith to, stop, to talk to circumstances to get out of your way so that you can see and, and it becomes obvious to you what God's already worked in your behalf. Amen. Amen. I love this passage. Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. After the death of Moses and Joshua was leading the people into the promised land and he sent spies into Jericho and there was a harlot that received them into her house and uh, this is part of the record of that. Joshua chapter 2 verse 8 and they sent people looking for these spies. And they, of course, threatened anyone. You can't be hiding the spies. Well, she hid them. She had taken them into her house and she's hiding them. In verse 8, before they were laid down, talking about where she was hiding them, she came up unto them upon the roof and she said unto the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Now, A woman who has no covenant with God already knows this doesn't belong to us anymore. It took them 40 years to believe what the harlot already knew. That's not good. (laughs) I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt and what you did under the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, uh, Sion and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. Verse 11. And as soon as we heard these things. Now, when did the Red Sea happen? Well, over 40 years before. But as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven alone and in earth beneath. So report of what God did for them at the Red Sea caused the hearts of the enemies to melt. God was already disarming their enemies in the promised land before they even showed up. They were not going to fight them. Their strength had left them. Their courage had left them. They knew that there was a God working for these people and they weren't willing to take him on. And they were ready to give them the land. The problem was because the, the Hebrews did not see that. They did not recognize what? That God was working on the backside. All they were mindful of was the front side. All they were mindful of is what they could see, what they could feel, what they could hear. All they focused on was the front side instead of the back side. If God said he's given us the land, then he's already dealt with those enemies. 
And it shows that Rahab said, we already had our hearts melted within us. We fainted. There's no fear in any man. And basically she's saying, where were you all this time? We were waiting for you to come get this land. She said, we know God's given you the land. So they waited for 40 years because they, they didn't look on the side that they couldn't see. It takes faith to believe that God's working on the back side when everything on the front side looks like he's not working. He's working because he says he is, not because you saw it. I said he's working because he says he is, not because you've seen anything change. There was this woman, she went, uh, she had had a, a regular checkup and the doctor said, there's something suspicious in your x-ray, your exams, we want you to come in for another test. And so she went in and they were doing an ultrasound on her breast because there was a growth there. So as she was laying there on the examining table, and uh, they turned the screen of the machine around so that she could see, and they... They said, this is the place that we're concerned about. And they showed her that there was the growth there. And when she saw it, she just within herself said, God, she said, if I only hadn't seen it. Because before she couldn't feel it, there was no evidence on the outside. But when she saw it on that doctor's screen, uh, it, it had an impact on her. And she said, oh, God, if I only hadn't seen it. And as she laid there, the Spirit of God the great helper, he said to her, he said, is what you see greater than what I say? And she on that examining table said, no, Father, forgive me. What I see is not greater than what you say. And you say, you're my healer. So it doesn't matter what I'm seeing because I I hold to what you're saying. And when she said that, and she's saying it within herself. She's not saying it out loud where the doctors and nurse can hear her. And there appeared on that screen that she was looking at a radius of light, a circle of light on the outer edge of that screen. And her and the doctors watched that light close in and get smaller and smaller and smaller on that growth. And as soon as it completely encircled it, It just vanished and disappeared. The light was gone. The growth was gone. Everything was gone. Why? Because she chose to believe that God was working even when she couldn't see him working. What you see, what you feel, what you've been told about your circumstance is not greater than what God has already said to you. And he's already working on the backside. If he says you can have that house, you can have that house. If he says to start that business, you better start that business. Well, I don't have all my ducks in a row. He's not following ducks. <laughs> He's not leading by ducks. Come on. Everything God has ever told us to start, we never had the funds to start it, but we had the word to start it. It's the word that gets you to the end. It's not the funds. Praise the Lord. Amen. I said, praise the Lord. So because God's people 
did not recognize that God was working on the backside. When God says, I have given you the land, that's what he told them. I have given you the land. That's enough to let them know, I've already worked on this for you. But they didn't believe that enough to act on it. So for over 40 years, they don't occupy because they're trying to get themselves in position to fight and God's already disarmed and taking care of their enemies. And what's happening for over 40 years, now they're giving their enemies over 40 years to fortify themselves. The longer we take to occupy where God tells us to be, the more time we're giving the devil to build strategies and devices against us. He's not all-knowing. The devil is not all-knowing. He does not always know where to attack you. But he watch your, he'll watch your movement. Amen. And if he sees you hesitate, it gives him time. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. In the early, it would have been in the mid-70s. My husband, before we were married, he pastored a church in Torrance, California. And God directed them to a building, and God said, this is your building. So the building at that time cost a half a million dollars to purchase it. They did not have the money to do that. So Ed entered into a lease option, meaning they would lease it with the option, with the option to pick up the purchase of it, and the lease money would go toward the purchase. So they agreed that within one year that Ed would come up with uh, money to pick up the option to purchase on the building. And it would be $126,000. So Ed endeavored. He received offerings with the congregation. They had only come up with uh, $10,000. They had several hundred people. He'd only come up, had $10,000 in the building fund. He was invited to preach at a camp meeting on the road. And so he went on the road and he was getting ready to do his morning meeting one morning. And God spoke to him and said, I I don't want you to do the meeting. I'm going to talk to you this morning. And he told him what minister to send in his place. So another minister he sent to hold the morning meeting. And so Ed was in the hotel room and he heard the door open in the hotel room. And uh, he turned around to see who had walked in. And when he turned around, there were two big angels standing there. And he said the roof seemed to disappear because they were far above the height of the ceiling there. And he said they had on uh, military. They had on a breastplate. One, he said, was holding a sword. They had dents in their armor showing combat. And when he turned around, they spoke to him and said, we've been sent from the throne room of heaven to straighten out your finances. And Ed just looked at him. And then he said, well, what are you waiting on? They said, we're waiting on the faith command. And he remembered where it says in Psalms that the angels hearkened to the word of God. And so he said, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Go and cause the money to come. 
and they disappeared. This was two months before the money was due. In that time period, he had businessmen in his church to call a meeting with him. 126 businessmen got together and said this, we have come up with a plan that we will each contribute $1,000 and that gives you $126,000, but we're buying it. And then the church can lease the building from us. We'll be the owners. And Ed went back to God and said, God, what about that? And he said, you're having trouble with one landlord right now. What are you going to do with 126 of them? The, land, the problem he was having with the landlord was that during that time was when the prices in California just took off and the value of the building doubled. So the landlord wanted them to default on this contract because he could sell it now for a million dollars instead of half a million dollars. So he would not give them any leeway, any time to work out what the money that they needed. When this businessman said that they, 126 of them got together and they would each contribute $1,000 so that they could become the owners, what, what does that show you? The money was in the church. But they wanted to give it on their terms. God wouldn't receive it on their terms. So, Ed did not, he says, no, I'm not going to take that deal. I'm not going to take that offer. They said, that's your only option. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't comply. Two days before the money was due, he called the, his attorney into his office and said, I need you to look through the contract and see if there's any way that the wording of the contract will allow me extra days. I need time. I don't have the money yet, and I need time. All this time that these 126 businessmen are working, they don't know about the angels that are working. And the secretary buzzed into Ed's office while he's having the meeting with the lawyer and said, there's a man out here that wants to talk to you. And Ed thought it was, again, the landlord because he was putting pressure on Ed. He was kind of harassing him. So Ed thought, I don't want to deal with him today. So he told his lawyer, you go out and deal with him. So the lawyer went out and he came back in a few minutes and he said, there's a fellow out here. You need to, you need to meet with him. So Ed goes out and meets with him and there's a guy standing there in a jogging suit. And he said, I don't go to this church. He said, I go to another church. But he says, I've been here to hear you before and I don't like your preaching. <laughs> he said, you scare me. He said, my pastor stands behind the pulpit. You don't. You go all over the room. And he said, but there's been two fellas in my room. And they've been talking to me. And they told me to bring you a cashier's check for $126,000. So here it is. What's that? God's always working on the backside. Whether you know it, whether you see it, whether Ed had seen that or not. Why did God allow him to see it? God was teaching him something and training him for what he needed, that these angels that are part of this back-end work, they're ministering spirits sent forth to minister for us who are heirs of salvation is what Hebrews 1.14 says. 
This isn't odd. This is part of our divine equipment. It's part of the divine working on the backsides of our lives. And God was teaching him and training him because these angels needed words of faith. How many times God has been endeavoring to do things for us on the backside, but our words stopped the work. Or our words accelerated the work. Amen. Um, when my husband and I, we lived in Tulsa. Well, and let me finish the story because 126000 of that was paid off. And that gave them, now that they could pick up the option, now they, could, they were going to be buying the building. But they still owed $374,000 to pay it off. But that, they didn't have to pay it off now. The next Sunday, Ed's having a guest minister there. And this guest minister got up to preach. And before he even preached, he looked toward the back and there was a man sitting against the back wall. And he said, sir, you need to come up here and obey God. And so Ed turned around. He was, Ed was sitting on the front row and he turned around to see who this minister is referring to. And he sees it's this man who had given the money. That he's there that Sunday morning. And Ed's trying to get the attention of the guest minister to say, he already did obey God. (laughs) But see, God wasn't done working on the backside. Ed was just talking about the front side still. But God was already on the front. I mean, on the backside working of what is going to be, he's going to be having to deal with. So... The guest minister ignored Ed and said, no, this man in the back, you need to come up here and obey God. So the man in the back came walking up, took the microphone that was offered him and said, well, those same two fellas are back in my room. (laughs) What is it? God's working on the backside. And he'll employ every heavenly ability he has to work on the backside of the situations of your life. Even though you don't see it, even though you don't feel it, it doesn't matter. He's working. If you'll allow him to keep working with your faith. It's your faith that gives him permission. And so the man came up and said, those two fellows are back in my room. He said, give me a couple of weeks and I'll bring you another cashier's check for $374,000. And he paid off the building. And Ed said to God later, he said, God, I so appreciate that. But he says, I did not even talk to you about the 374000 because the, it was the 126 was what was looming in front of him. And he said, why did you do that? And he said, simply because you wouldn't compromise when that other of those businessmen offered you. It's a reward to show you that there's a reward for not compromising. Amen. 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 To get relief. Listen, don't settle for something to get relief. Go all the way and get victory. Because you can get relief and never get hold of victory. Never move into all that God has. And we don't ever want to back up just because we don't like the pressure that comes against the mind or what the eye sees. Don't back up to get relief. Hold out and get victory. Amen. Uh, In the the, uh, late, 
Well, it's really in the late 18, 19, around 1988, God started dealing with my husband and I. We lived in Tulsa at the time about us coming back to California. And Ed had a plan. We had just built a, a building that seated 1,000 people. It was on 85 acres. Dad Hagen had just come and dedicated the building. And God said to Ed, I want you to do me a favor. And he said, what? He says, I want you to go back to California. And I want you to get in a position for the last day revival. And so Ed turns around and says that to me on a Sunday morning. And I said, well, when are you going to tell the people? He said, this morning. Oh, okay. So he got up and he told the people, we're going to California. But he ha- Ed had a plan, and that is, I'm going to sell this building. And I'm going to go out to California with the cash enough that I can go out and I can buy another headquarters and I can start. So he kept waiting for the building to sell. And we sat there for another two years waiting for the building to sell. And it never did sell during that time. And the only thing that happened is we started falling further and further and further behind financially. The reason is, is because when God tells you to do something, you don't wait for properties to give you permission. When God says to do something, you follow his leading. You don't follow finances. You follow the Holy Ghost. You don't follow price. You don't follow people's input. You follow the Holy Ghost. So we struggled desperately for two years. We finally, after that two years, I told Ed, I got up one day and said, Stephen and I are moving. He said, what do you mean? I said, God told us to go to California. Stephen and I are going to California. Really? Without me? I said, I guess so. (laughs) He said, you'd really move without me? I said, I guess I would. So I packed Stephen up and me up just enough clothes, one suitcase apiece. I didn't take anything to basically for a long-term existence, just enough clothes to satisfy us for a while. I got on an airplane, and we flew out to California. The day I, found, I got out there, I met with a real estate agent. I had her to show me a house, and by 5 o'clock that day, I was approved and in that house. Called Ed and said, you got a house in California. He said, what? I said, yeah, come on out. It's good. <laughs> well, he was going on the road to go preach, and he says, well, I'm preaching on the road for the next two weeks. I said, well, then we'll see you in two weeks, okay? You come on out. Somebody gave us a little TV, just one little one, and I went to Target and bought a little table to put it on and went and bought, you know, towels and wash rags, and that's about it. That's all we had, and we slept on the floor, and we didn't have a stick of furniture because God said to go to California. And when you show up late, you have to lay on the floor. (laughs) Could have had a bed if it showed up on time. But at least we showed up. That was the important thing. We showed up. And so uh, Ed, did, Ed decided, well, I guess I'll just move out there without selling the building. So uh, we, had, we just had a couple staff members at the time. And uh, they packed up everything at the ministry and stuff. And they brought stuff out. And we sold our car in Tulsa. We sold... Gave our furniture to his, one of his daughters. 
So we came out there. We had no furniture. So I rented furniture. We rented a car. We had nothing. We just wanted to pay off as much as we could because we owed so much. We got out there, and for the next two years, it was a struggle. So now it's four years of struggle simply because we moved too slow. Why? Because we didn't really believe God was working on the backside to meet us to get there on time. And I'm talking about, okay, do I buy stamps today to mail these bills or not? Because I've only got $60 left in the account. And I don't know when, when I get more and where it's coming from. I've been there. Yeah. And um, Ed comes in, and I did all the finances. I'd rented a home, and we lived in that home for two years, and Ed kept saying, we're going to get a home. Yeah, I believe that. We're going to get a home. But one day, he was, he was always up early, around 5, 5.30, go down to the corner of 7-Eleven, get him a cup of coffee and a USA Today. And one morning he walked in and there was a stack of magazines at the entry there. And it was housing magazines, you know, of homes for sale in the region. And when he walked in and he saw this housing magazine on the front cover was a beautiful home. And he just walked, he walked in and just glanced there. And when he did, the Holy Ghost spoke to him and said, that's your house. So he, pick up, he picks up that magazine and he brings it home to me. He throws it on the kitchen counter and said, when I walked into the store, this magazine was there, and God told me that that house on the front, that's our house. He didn't say, do we have money? He didn't say, do we have a down payment? Because the answer is, is no, no to above all. <laughs> above all the, all, the, all the questions above is no. He didn't ask. And I didn't offer information because I know this. If God said something, it doesn't matter what else I may have to add to it. doesn't matter. Don't even go there. And so I said, well, when are you going to see it? He said, today. I said, okay. So we had just started the church. It wasn't, it had been going a couple of years by now. And there was a uh, real estate agent in the church. So he contacted him. He said, we want you to show us the house. We walked through the house. And he said, yeah, we're taking this house. We're, we're taking it. We did, I'm telling you what we, I'm telling you, we didn't have money hardly to buy stamps. And we're buying a house in California is what he's planning. So he told the real estate guy, he said, find out who owns this house. He comes back and he told it. He said, well, there's a woman in the L.A. County, L.A. area that she, uh, she owns the house. She built it two years ago. It's been vacant for two years. No one's ever lived in it. And said she's going to send her sons. Her sons do the business. She's about in her 70s or 80s. Her sons are in their 40s, 50s. And they handle all of her business. So Ed said, set me up an appointment with them. I want to meet with them. So they come and Ed meets with them. They're very nice. And Ed says, God told me that this is my house. See, you don't have to come up with anything or, you know, just do what, just say what God says. You don't have to come up with something special on your own. And he said, God told me that that's our house. And he says, I don't have any money. (laughs) See, he never said anything to me about that. (laughs) He never discussed it with me, but he knew, don't even ask. We don't have any. So he said, God told me that that's our house. We don't have any money. What can you do to get me in that house? See, Ed realized it's not about money that gets me in. It's about what God said that gets me in. That's right. 
They said, well, we're not authorized to do anything for you. This house belongs to our mother. We can't offer you something. We have to see what our mother will do. And he said, well, talk to your mother. So they go back and they, they met with the mother and they later told us this. They said, Mom, there's a preacher there in Murrieta, California who wants to buy that house. You built that house there. It's been vacant for two years and said there's a preacher there who wants to buy it. And she said, what's that preacher's name? His name is Ed Dufresne. She said, 15 years ago, I went to his church in Torrance, California and God healed me in that service. Whatever it takes, get that man in that house. And within weeks, we were in that house. We lived in that house for 11 years and sold it for a million more than we paid for it. Why? Because God was working on the backside when our front side was empty. You understand that? That's what I'm trying to tell you. It doesn't matter what your front side looks like. The power's in the backside. Hallelujah. 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 Well, praise the Lord. You ever heard of a woman named Rachel Tifa Tiller? Some of you may have, had, may have had. She is a precious lady. She wasn't a preacher necessarily. She's a prayer. And she talks about how when God told her to go help her son, he was starting a church in a different part of the United States. And so he came to move her and his dad to where he was. They came and loaded up the car. He came, loaded up the car, and it was going to be a couple of days' drive. And they had driven all day, and uh, that was during the time, uh, you know, you saw more motels than hotels. And uh, they were going through small towns. You remember that no vacancy signs in front of these motels? And so uh, they would drive through these little towns and they just kept coming up on no vacancy, no vacancy, no vacancy. They started looking about 8 o'clock at night. And I mean, now it's 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. They can't find and they just keep going. They can't find a vacancy anywhere. And it's midnight and the the, the son says, Mom, we're just going to have to sleep in the car. And she says, God did not call me to come help you and sleep in a car. I'm not sleeping in a car. (laughs) So... He said, well, Mom, there's no vacancy. She said, there is in the next town. There, it's at midnight now. And so she's in the car and she's saying, angels, somebody's in our motel room. Clear them out. I'm coming. <laughs> what she believed that God's working on the backside. You don't have to do all the work when God's working on the backside. He'll do that work. You just show up. Just show up. Just show up. Show up believing that he's working on the backside. It matters how you show up. That you don't show up worrying. You don't show up complaining, but you show up believing. Believing that he's already working. So they find this in this little town. There's this one motel and it says no vacancy. And she said, that's the place. And so she said to her son, pull over here. He said, mom, it says no vacancy. She said, I don't care what that sign says. She said, Our, there's, a hotel, there's a motel room there for us. So he gets out and he goes in and he says, I know that your sign says no vacancy, but do you by chance have a vacancy? He said, well, there was a truck driver that was in a room here and he just came in about 30 minutes ago and says, I can't be sleeping here. I got to get up and leave. He said, I got a, I got a hard schedule to meet. And he got up at, you know, at about 1130 or so. 
And she said, and the desk worker said, I really, it's not my job to clean the room, but for some reason I just went in and I cleaned the room. So the, the, the sheets have been changed, got new towels, and said, it's the biggest room we have. There's several beds in it. So he comes back out and she, says, she said, they got us a room, don't they? See, this is kind of experience with God. You know he's working on the back end. You're not afraid to walk up to the front end. They get to, they get to where he lives and they need a, a rental, a home to rent. She says, I don't live with my children. <laughs> she says, I can get my own home. <laughs> and it was a small town and so... They weren't building homes, and there was not a plentiful amount of homes, and she needed a rental home they didn't want to purchase. She just wanted to rent. She looked all over town, and there was nothing. She came home one day, and she said, God, someone's in our home. Angels, clear them out of our home. What she know? That God's already prepared ahead of time, and all they've got to do is take the path. But that path needed their faith. And so she said, angels, you clear someone out of the home. You say, well, that's coveting. No, it's not because she didn't say which home. And so around noontime, there was a knock on the door and her son went to the door and, he, and a man was standing there and says, uh, I understand that your mother is looking for a home. He said, I have a home that I've been renting to a woman for 10 years and I thought she'd be there the rest of her life. But this morning, she, she came and knocked on my door. And she says, I got to get out of this house. And she said, I called my son yesterday, and he came and got my furniture, so I'm leaving today. And so the, Rachel T. Fatiller comes down, and he tells her that. And she said, that's my house. I'll take it. Her son said, Mom, you haven't even seen the house. He said, can't you hear? The angels cleared someone out. It doesn't matter what the house looks like. They're going to get me a good house. Yeah. And that day she moved into that house. Amen. Why? Because God was working on the back end. Yeah. Amen. All God needs is faith on the front end so that what's on the back end can manifest. Yes. Praise the Lord. I said praise the Lord. When you believe that God's working on the back end, you talk different. You pray differently. You don't pray, oh, God, oh, God, do something. You pray, God, somebody's got mine. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. I was listening to a testimony that someone had recorded of George Mueller. And uh, God had told him that he was to build another orphanage home. Now, George Mueller was a minister who had an orphanage in Bristol, England. At the time of his death, they had over 2,000 children in that orphanage. He educated them, fed them, housed them until they were, and then gave them uh, jobs there on the property. They learned different trades. And then as they got older, these children would go out and apprentice for others, and they were set well in life because he had given them a good start. And God began dealing with him about another orphanage home to build, they needed 20,000 pounds, and this was back in the 1800s, and I don't know what the pounds ratio is to dollars, but he needed 20,000 pounds, and he said the biggest gift they had ever received through the course of his ministry was 1,000 pounds, and he said that was massive for them in that day. And he said uh, people would give this amount and that amount and this amount and that amount, 
And he said one day uh, a young boy came to him and said, uh, Mr. Muller, he said, God's called me to be a missionary. Now, this wasn't a boy in the orphanage. This was a boy there in the city because they held church services too. And this boy said, uh, I, I'm, I know that God's called me to be a missionary in India. I've talked to my parents and they, they refuse. They will not agree. And he said, I'm just going to do it. And he says, no. George Mueller said, no. He said, uh, you honor your mother and father and it'll be well with you and you'll live long. And he said, let's pray that God will change their heart. He says, I'll pray with you. So he said, well, he said, you understand my parents, they're high up in society. They're very wealthy. I'm not sure you don't know my parents. And he, and George Mueller said, well, evidently you don't know my God. So a couple of weeks later, this young man came back to him and he said, God has answered your prayers. He said, my parents agreed to let me be a missionary in India. But he said, but I'm going to ask you to pray because I want my sister to go with me and I believe she's to go with me. But we need my parents' agreement for her to go. And you pray again. So they prayed again. And a short time later, he received a letter and a box and... And this letter was from his sister and said, my brother told me you prayed for me and my parents have agreed to let me go to India as well. And she said, I have the toys of my vanity in this box that I'm sending to you because I won't need them in India. And he thought, well, this little box, you got over 2,000 orphans. You can't can't give one a toy and not another a toy. So he thought, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. And he opened it up and he said, when I opened it up, He said, uh, they have a saying in his country, and the saying was this, that God's time is the right time. And he said, I opened up that box, and he said, it looked like the crown jewels were in that box. He said, there were necklace, there was a necklace, and there was a tiara that had stones, and he said, I sent for the jeweler that lived nearby to come and Give me an appraisal on these. And it was a quarter of a million pounds worth of jewels. And he said this. Those jewels were put in the earth by God because he knew I would need them today. He said then he sent a man to mine those out of the earth because today is the day that God had for me to get these. And he said, and then he gifted a man to set them in these beautiful settings because God had this day planned for me. And then he had the parents to buy him for a daughter because God remembered this day for me. And he said, and then he moved upon this girl to give them to this orphanage because God's time is always the right time. And it was time for those jewels that had been put in the earth millions of years ago for me for today. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus was slain. Provision was made. And we just look at what's right in front of us and worry. And we forget all the back end and all the backside of the provision, the abundance, So it's our words that determine 
how much of the backside comes to the front side. Amen? I don't know about you, but these things stir me because it puts us in a place where we can rest. No more worries. God's already working on it. After Ed, Ed went home to be with the Lord and we had eight big projects to finish. Two of them were buildings, properties to sell, refinancing of properties to do. And Ed had tried for a year and a half to get our church refinanced. We couldn't get it refinanced because he had a half-finished building on it. He didn't have the funds to finish it. He was paying cash as he went, and so he couldn't get it refinanced because banks don't want to lend on half-finished buildings. So we tried after he died. Ed had tried for a year and a half, couldn't get it refinanced. We tried after he died. We couldn't get it refinanced. And one day the bank contacted me because they had set a deal with Ed. They said, we're going to give you two years because it was another bank who had bought out another one. And they said, we don't fund churches. So we will lower our interest rate. If you will agree to getting refinanced by two years, Ed said, okay, I agree. So you understand they could have called our note due because we had broken the agreement. And I'm down in Texas and I'm preaching and I get contacted from the bank and said, by tomorrow, we want to know where you're going to get the $400,000 to finish the building by tomorrow. And they're threatening me. Well, let me look in my purse. Maybe I overlooked a pocket in there or something, got a little something in it. If I had 400000 knew where it was, don't you think the building would be finished? Come on. But I thought, you're not putting your pressure on me. You keep your own pressure. So I had to go preach and got back to the hotel room that night and go, oh, yeah, they want to know where $400,000 is coming from, from by tomorrow. Me too. <laughs> but they want an answer. They're demanding an answer because you understand they hold the note and we've violated the contract. So I said, God, I laid down on the bed and I said, God, and I didn't lay face down in a begging position. I laid down like I'm tired that kind of position. And I laid down and I said, God, this catches me off guard, but not you. This was unexpected by me, but you fully expected it. So that means you fully provided for it. All I need to know is what you know. You know where that money is. And I ask you to help me to know where's the money. I said it that quickly, that simply, and then I just laid there and prayed in other tongues for about 10 minutes, quieted my mind, not trying to figure it out because, see, the front end can't figure out the back end. All the front can do is use what the back end already supplied. So I laid there for about 10 minutes and prayed in the Spirit. The way to benefit from praying in the Spirit is quiet your mind because your spirit wants to illuminate your mind. But if your mind is occupied, you'll miss what your spirit's trying to communicate to you. So I quieted my mind and just laid there and prayed in the Holy Ghost. It wasn't 10 minutes. And up came the answer of what to do. To propose something to the bank. And it wasn't a loan. It was them giving me the money that was owed to them and them using it for me. And just to save time, I won't tell all the details of that. So I told them when I come home, and I came home the next couple of days, I, I want to come and meet with you. And so I met with 
the head of the loan committee and the person that was over our account. And so I went in there and the woman comes in and she's got another guy and they, you know, they're coming in carrying their notebooks and they're going to be in business. So I took a, I took a widow's posture. Why? I'm spending that card. I got it and I'm spending it. Like, don't you come in here and bully a widow. Don't you do it. So I'm, you know, come in, they'd say, well, Mrs. Dufresne, first of all, we just want to say we're so sorry for your loss. Y'all need to. <laughs> I'm taking that posture. You got that right. And so I, I said, um, I want to comply with what my husband agreed to with you. And we have been trying. But because we have this unfinished building, as you know, we can't get someone else to refinance us. But we have found a company that they said if the building is finished, they have already given us uh, a letter saying that they will finance our building. Because it was our church property was done. It was another building right next to the church building. And so I said, so, and I proposed to them what God had given me. They said, oh, no, we're not doing that. That's our money. I said, I know that's your money, but it gets me off your books. Your goal is to get get me off the books. My goal is get me off the books. If you give me this money, I know it's due you, but if you give it back to me so I can finish this building, I said, then I get off your books. They said, oh, no, that's our money. We're not. And I said, let me say it again. I said it to them three times. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. They didn't get faith the first hearing. (laughs) They didn't get faith the second hearing. So I I don't change what God said. This is what God said. They're going to have to change. When will they change? When they hear it. Just because because I said it didn't mean they heard it. I said it to them the third time. I told them the whole thing three different times from start to finish. The third time, she looks at me and says, you know, I think that'll work. I said, yeah. (laughs) She said, let me go see if the loan committee will agree to that. I meet with them tomorrow. Well, she's head of the loan committee. (laughs) So we got it. Why? Because I remembered at a time of potential pressure. Even though this catches me off guard, it doesn't catch God off guard. He's already got a plan. My job is to get the plan. How do I get the plan? Take time to pray in the Holy Ghost to hear the mind of the genius on the backside of this thing. Amen. Amen. And then move in line with what he says. Speak faith words, even when you don't know what the plan is. You speak faith words, and then you take time to pray, and you will come into the knowledge that you need to know. You don't need to know everything. You only need to know the part that's your part to play. Too many times we want to know his part. His part's none of our business. I don't really care how the computer program built that that brain system in the back of my... Don't even start trying to explain that to me. I'm going to go on tilt. Why? I, don't know. I do not have the capacity. I can't understand the computer language. I don't know what you do. Just make it work and show me where the power button is. That's exactly the way we need to approach God. You don't have to explain everything to me. I know this. You're the genius behind this thing. It'll work. Just show me my part. Show me where to push the power button. Amen. How do you push the power button? Faith words. How do you push the power button? Pray in the Holy Ghost. Amen. 
Are you helped tonight? God's working on the backside. What has he told you? What has he put in your heart? He's already worked out the details. He just doesn't, he doesn't need us to worry about it because that short circuits the, the board of the whole thing. He just needs us believing. He needs us praying out certain details that pertain to our doing. Amen. Hallelujah. Stand with me to your feet. Father, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful that you see, you see the future even more clearer than we see the past. And Father, we know this, we can totally trust in you. We can totally depend on you. And Father, everything you put in our heart, we pick that up. We'll not lag behind in the realm of reason, trying to figure it out and delaying as the Hebrews delayed for 40 years when they could have been occupying and enjoying. But Father, we trust you. We bring our words of faith. We say, it shall come to pass. 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 We thank you for it, Father. We glorify you. Let's just worship him. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. We give you glory and honor and praise. Doesn't that bring a rest to you? To not to say that you were unsettled, but for anything you're going to face. You already know he's working on it. He's already prepared answers, provision, supply, connections, people. Someone's anointed to help you. And they're helping. They're getting in position. Amen. Whatever God tells you, it must come to pass. It must come to pass. As long as we do the right thing on the front end, what he's already prepared on the back end can be played out. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Mashtakaya de beshtikikiye. Manjakakakaya da basototoye. I remember when Ed went home to be with the Lord, it was on a Friday, a Friday morning. And um, on Monday morning, I went in to our financial gal because Ed handled so much of the finances. I would oversee the church finances, but he oversaw the traveling portion and basically the, the whole thing as a whole. And so I didn't know where we stood financially, and I went in, and I said to her, I said, can you tell me where we're at financially? She said, well, Pastor Nancy, today is payday. She said, we missed last payday. I said, really? She said, yeah. So I said, well, then I'm guessing if we're behind on payroll, we're also behind on other bills. She said, yes. <laughs> so I just stood there and go, <laughs> just start laughing. <laughs> I mean, what you going to do? Get in line. <laughs> because there were so many other big projects also 
Oh, God, I'm finished building. Oh, I got that. You know, I got problems. Okay. <laughs> Ed had told him the weekend before he died, finish that building in Colorado. Okay, I'll finish that now that you're gone. So I just stood there and I just laughed at the, <laughs> the, the pile on. It's like somebody else, you see him come, okay, come on, get on. Doesn't matter. And I just stood there and started laughing. <laughs> and I mean, it's better than crying. Yeah. <laughs> the mess up the makeup is bad. <laughs> and I said to her, I said, Francine, I'm saying it so you hear it. I will never book a meeting for money. I will never calculate money as my motivation for why I do a meeting. And I said, God must take care of this. And I said, you know, I'm going home, pipe my nails. I have a nail fetish. I'm just telling you, I got a nail fetish. Had it all my life since I was little. So this wasn't anything new. I go, go paint my nails. (laughs) And I go home. And I turn on HGTV, Holy Ghost TV. (laughs) Why? I'm going to do something so that my mind doesn't start going the wrong direction. I'm going to pick up my mind and put it on something totally unrelated because I'm not going where my mind could go. Not going there. So I just sit there and act like I don't have a problem in the world. I'm just looking at HGTV and polishing my nails. People say that's not very responsible. It takes more faith to do that than it does to worry. Yeah, come on. Come on. So I'm sitting there, and the only thing I said to God, I said, God, my husband knew the financial needs of this ministry better than I did. And I said, I know my husband. He's already talked to you, Jesus, about this. I know my husband. He's already brought this up. I'm expecting you to honor your prophet. I'm expecting you to answer what he's requested of you. And that's all I said. So there's nothing more I can do. I can't raise the funds by the end of the day for payroll. So I'm just polishing my nails and watching HGTV. And my financial gal calls me and said, I just received an overnight envelope and someone just sent us a check for $100,000. I said, I don't doubt it. (laughs) You see, I could have, what if I was going to worry? And all the time that was working. That that minister sent it on Friday. It was on its way to me on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday while I was having that conversation, it was already moving. What if I would have just worried? I'd have missed polished nails. (laughs) So I told her, I said, I'm going to come down there. And I said, Francine, you've had to give uh, people reports to say, no, you can't buy this now. No, you can't buy that. I said, I'm going to get, I'm going to let you give them the report of what came in. She said, Pastor, you do that for me. I said, I sure will. (laughs) So I called the, I called the staff together and they don't know what's coming. They know they didn't get paid last payday, and they know that today's payday. They don't know what report they're getting. And she got up, and she starts dancing, and I said, well, tell them. And said, well, somebody gave us $100,000. And, of course, the staff went crazy. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't you think your faith did this? (laughs) God is honoring the prophet of God. 
and all that he's sown. And he was working all the time to make sure that this day, God's timing was on time. Amen. God's always on time. I said, God's always on time. He's never late. And so there's never any stretch. There's no need to feel the the pull or the stretch of time. God is never going to fail us. He never has and he never will. Why? He's already worked out all the details on the back end. It's just our job to do the right thing on the front end. No user error. Amen. Father, we thank you, we glorify you, we magnify you. And Father, the fullness and the abundance that you've already made, you said, you said you have prepared ahead of time. Our paths fully stocked. You said, you're the one that said it in your word, that we take the paths prepared ahead of time, living the good life. Father, a struggling life is not a good life. A life of not being able to pay the bills is not a good life. Being behind financially is not a good life. Being in pain is not the good life. You have something greater. So we choose the good life. We choose the good life and we release our faith for every provision that's on our path of obedience. And so, Father, we thank you for it. Father, I thank you. I thank you for that abundance. I thank you for it, Father. I thank you. The fullness And Father, the next thing you have for her, the next thing you have for her, the next place you have for her, for the abundance of it to come, the blessing of it to come, I agree with her in Jesus' name. I thank you for it. I thank you for the best days are not all spent, (laughs) but they're ahead. And we thank you for it, Father. Father, the fullness of your abundance, the fullness of your provision, we thank you for it, Father. I thank you for it, Father. I'm so, so grateful. So, so grateful for the utterances that you have, heaven has authored to come through this precious lady. I thank you, Father, for her spirit laying hold of those utterances that heaven would have her to declare that brings revelation We thank you for it, Father. We thank you for it, Father. I thank you for the faith of this man staying with it and just keeping taking ground. Father, may they know as never before the fullness of the abundance that's on that path, all that you've already worked for them. We thank you for it. All that you've ever worked for us, Father, we take it. We take it. We take it. Father, everything you've already provided for this local church, we take it. Everything, everything to fulfill the vision, everything, everything to fulfill every aspect of it, we take it in Jesus' name. We give you all the thanks. We give you all the praise. Hallelujah. Just Let's just worship him tonight. We worship you, Father. We worship you, Father. We glorify you, Father. We magnify you. We worship you, we worship you, we worship you. Can I say this? When you remember the right thing, you quit struggling. Anytime there's a struggle, we've forgotten something. Anytime there's a struggle, we haven't fully agreed. So we say we agree with the provision of God. We're not going to struggle anymore. 
Amen. What has God put in your heart? Enjoy it. Enjoy it. It's not a hardship. It's a joy to watch him fulfill it. Amen. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Father. We thank you for the complete provision, the complete, the complete, to complete, complete it, complete it. And we thank you for divine utterance that comes to her knowing what to say, to address and to answer every single one of those needs, every single one of them. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you for it, Father, because the provision is so abundant. The provision is so abundant. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, you think about this. Ed would tell me he had the first, one of the first computers in the 70s. He said, Nancy, it filled a room. And he said, I paid $100,000 for this big computer system that the staff said they could not live without. They had to have it to function. And he said, you know what it was? A $100,000 Rolodex. All they ever learned to do was pull up addresses. That's all they ever learned to do. But yet they had the capacity of what this thing could have done. But all they ever gained skill in was pulling a phone number out of it. We have divine life eternal life, the wisdom of God, the genius of God, the Holy Ghost, the heaven's genius in us. God forbid that all we ever learn to do is do the bare minimum of pulling out an address, so to speak, just taking care. We need to become skillful with what the greater one in us provides so that we are enjoying the abundance of who he is in us. Amen. Hallelujah. Listen, these are last days. We're to, we should be taking ground. I'm talking about it's the body of Christ. We should be taking ground previous generations. We're not able to take because they were laying groundwork for us. Amen. Let's take all of our skill and just use it. Use it and not be okay with just being able to just barely Get the bare minimum out of this divine life that is ours. Let's get the fullness out of it. Amen. Hallelujah. Pastor, thank you. Praise the Lord. Well, how many of you have received direction tonight? I dare say that a lot of us have received direction about what to stop doing principally to stop worrying and fretting about things you know you can't do you can't take the next step the the positive step until you stop the wrong stuff amen glory to god god is ahead of it amen he's got it he's got it amen At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. 
If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.